in the words of Public Enemies Chuck D, bring the noise. On the Fifth End Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. So welcome back ladies and gentlemen, hope you've all had a good week. So for this episode I wanted to switch something, switch it up a little bit, just um, not not too much. Uh, I wouldn't class it as a special quote unquote, because um, I don't really, I, f- I find special to be a little bit different, but this is a different episode, just don't get, don't get twisted, uh, it's, it's, it's not a special, but it's something different from the norm of course. So for this episode I wanted to talk about um, Australia not f- just not you know in the specific sense of just the fires because uh, obviously that could be you know I thought I thought initially that uh, you know I was going to talk about it at some point but I didn't really know when and when it would happen it'll probably you know just be me talking about the stats that you've all seen and stuff like that but I thought I'd do something a little bit different with this particular topic because I feel like there's a lot more to it. Um, so with that said, this whole episode is going to be a conversation with uh, me and uh, my homie Ben Carr uh, of uh, Hip Hop Numbers and obviously uh, one half of Digging in Digits. Um, and I'm, I'm obviously the other half. <laughs> if you guys ever listen to that, please go listen to that whenever you listen to this. And uh, But obviously before, not before you uh, listen to this episode. But um yeah, so for those that don't know, Ben is um, uh, Australian. He lives in Australia. He's born and bred in Australia, and at this moment in time, um, is obviously in Australia in the heart of what's obviously going down in Australia. Not just obviously the fires, but there's a lot of uh, as as it pertains to that. There's a lot of uh, obviously climate crisis angst, a lot of anxiety everywhere. Um, and obviously you guys have seen the statistics and that's kind of why I didn't want to do just a regular segment uh, on this particular topic because you know I, I could easily just regurgitate stats and then say, oh, this is bad. But I feel like there's more to it. So this is what the whole episode is going to be about. Um, soon you'll be hearing uh, just me and Ben chopping it up about Australia from a political perspective, from the, obviously the fires and um, some, and I, I genuinely, uh, for me personally, I learned some stuff. Uh, about Australia and how uh, life is over there, because um, sometimes I think, uh, especially for some people in Britain, they see Australia as just like you know another, like a I don't know, like a UK US hybrid of some sort. But they've got some weird wildlife, and you know, and half of three quarters of it is desert. You know, it's 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 a it's a it's a, it's a place with a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of stereotypes in Australia, obviously, if you don't live there. So with that said, I just wanted to gain some clarity on it all. And uh, I thought, obviously, because uh, Ben lives in Australia and is very well read, um, is highly intelligent um, in terms of what's going on, uh, I thought it would be a great conversation to have. So uh, I invited him over. We literally re- recorded the uh, last episode of DITD, the latest episode, and then went on to this. So uh, we talked for about two hours during one day. And uh, yeah, so I won't waste any more time. Let's uh, just jump right into it. I uh, think I've primed it enough. Formalities before we begin, have the email, Twitter, IG, Facebook, of course, everywhere. Well, those places uh, in the description below. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So this is uh, 
basically just a whole conversation about Australia, from the fires to political scene uh, to the social climate and how people are responding in Australia, and also um, just uh, how also how I've been seeing it and how most people have been seeing it in terms of uh, world news coverage. So uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed this one. I really enjoyed doing this one. Uh, really learned a lot personally, and I hope you guys too. So uh, without further ado, let the beat drop. Let's get into the conversation. Hi Ben. Charlie, how's it going? Not too bad, not too bad. Alright, so um, we are talking about everything Australia. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, for most people, uh, the I guess the main thing is obviously the fires themselves. But I feel like obviously uh, there's more to it um, than just fire and just you know ah uh, climate change happening. Or if you're in some non secular circles, ah uh, God has come to punish us. Mm. Um, so <laughs> wherever you are, uh, I feel like it's something uh, that's just worth exploring. And uh, I feel like this is good timing because obviously uh, we're kind of at, I guess, what I could guess the apex of all of this. Um, obviously, it's been a, it's been going on for a while, and will probably go on for another little while. Um, so I think it's a good time to talk about it. And obviously, uh, what better person uh, than someone who actually is there and uh, nearly at the front line to uh, in in some ways. Uh, but uh, we'll get into yeah, that as we go. Was, so. Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk. Let's talk about. Uh, let's let's set the scene, I guess. Um, we'll begin, uh, I guess, before the fires, right? And give me paint a picture for me and for everyone else who doesn't live in Australia. The climate in, and I, when I mean climate, obviously meaning uh, the actual, you know, climate change sense, climate crisis sense, and also the political climate, social climate, and all of that. Um, but obviously you can dig into it however you please. Yeah, the political climate is very relevant to the situation that we're in now. So in Australia, we have two major parties. We have the Liberal National Party, which is the right-wing conservative party. And then we have the Labour Party, which is... They're not left-wing. I would call them a little bit left of centre. Uh, but they're definitely not right-wing. They're not conservative. Uh, but they're not, they're not fully left-wing. We have a Greens Party as well, which is far left-wing. Uh, but they they don't have a huge amount of power in this country. Now, we had an election, I want to say early last year. It might have been late 2018. I can't fully remember when it was. And the right-wing party, the Liberal National Party, was elected in. Now, they had already been in government prior. Now, basically, the way that they came into power, the way that I saw it and the way that most of my the people around me saw it was a microcosm of what was happening in America with Trump and, and Hillary Clinton. It was very and it's you know, it's it's not escalated to that point and it's obviously the stakes aren't quite as high. What in Australia, the right wing party, Scott Morrison, who's a prime minister now, you probably all know him, he was the one that was leading their party and their campaign. They had no policies. Their previous government had run the economy into the ground to the point where they had to cut $6 billion from things like the National Disability Insurance Scheme because their policies were just non-existent and the economy was starting to tank. 
uh, all they did was say that they were going to offer drought relief to the Queensland farmers, and they said they were going to cut taxes for uh, middle to upper class. That were their two policies that they ran on. Now, the left party, or sorry, the left of centre party, the Labour Party, the other major party, had some incredible policies mainly focused around climate change and reducing our carbon emissions, looking deeply, more deeply into renewable energy, uh, collaborating with businesses to help them change from coal power into renewable energy. The right-wing party, the Liberal Party, who won the election, they, they, they did not believe climate change was real. They were climate change denialists. They said that it had been blown way out of proportion. There's a viral uh, moment where... Scott Morrison brought a lump of coal into Parliament and claimed that the opposition party were coalophobes and that they were afraid of coal uh, and that there was no threat with coal power. There was no threat to the climate. There was no threat to the country. There was no threat to the world and that coal power was clean. It was great. Um, and that they will continue to put their, their money behind businesses who engaged in using coal power. So... They won. They won the election shockingly. Only just, but they won shockingly. No one saw it coming. And basically, since then, they have pursued very conservative, very right-wing uh, political agenda. And most of that has been denying that climate change is real. And so if you think about that, an example of this happening was... That, that is relevant to these fires. Now, there was a coalition of, I think, 23 fire and emergency chiefs around Australia, and they'd been trying to get a meeting with Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, for months earlier last year. Around April, July, just before the fire season started in September, because they predicted, as scientists have predicted, that this was going to be our hottest and driest summer on record by a huge margin. And they said this was going to be a catastrophic fire event and that lives would be put at risk and this would be like something we have never seen in this country before. But because the government doesn't believe in climate change or didn't back then, they refused to have that meeting with these emergency and fire chiefs. So if you can imagine, the climate prior to the fire season starting was a government that was in power and had the, you know, they had the balance of power in the Senate and the House of Representatives and they just did not believe that climate change was real and they assumed that everything will be fine during this fire season, despite all evidence to the contrary prior to the fire season starting. So that was kind of the powder keg that started this whole thing. So just to, I guess, clarify, in terms of uh, the Liberals' uh, power and actually numbers, uh, they have a, like a full majority and all that, right? Uh, off the top of my head, I'm not 100% sure which... They, okay. they definitely have a full majority in one of the houses... And obviously, for anything to pass, it has to pass in both houses. So, okay. and and the problem is that there we have independents in Australia as well. I don't know if people know about this in our political system. We have independents who operate; they don't operate within a party, or their party is very small, and they usually have one or two votes in the Senate or the House of Reps. But the problem is that yeah. because both sides of the political spectrum were kind of polarizing, a lot of people move towards these independents. And the independents yep. were very conservative right-wing as well. And so even if okay. the Liberal Party did not have a full majority, uh, the they could usually coerce the independents into voting with them. And so basically, the Liberal Party has a power in this, in this country. They, anything that they want to do and, and get through, will get through. 
Okay, just wanted to, I guess, clear that yep. Uh, yep. little bit up. So, we get to the fires themselves, and uh, when, when, when approximately did it, I guess, begin? Because I feel like, because I think I saw somewhere that, um, I, I guess, it's like a season, in a way. Yeah. Um, that I, I, obviously, uh, the, the numbers that we have now in terms of the fire statistically hasn't, you know, been seen before, but like... I guess you guys have a season of thing of these like kind of times where it could potentially happen. Obviously, in this case, it has. Yeah, so the seasons usually run. I mean, it's summer mainly, and summer starts in December. But I would say okay. late November is when things start to ramp up, all the way up until late February, and that's usually our fire season. This year, the season started catastrophically in mid-September, like really badly, and it has not stopped like it is just escalated and escalated and escalated so this was the earliest i can ever remember and when we're talking about a fire season i'm not talking about random fires or you know the odd uncontrolled fire etc in australia the bushfire season means you know i live right next to the bush and in i think it was march 2018 it might have been april we actually had a fire event right near us and for three days we were on super high alert like we were basically you know, ready to be evacuated for three days straight. Um, right. And so when I, when, I, when I say a fire season, I mean there are multiple fires all around the country that are burning out of control and are threatening property and lives. So, you know, there might be a random fire in July, but that's not going to class as fire season. So normally it would start late November, but this year it start last year, sorry, it started early to mid-September in a very catastrophic way. Right, okay. So, obviously, that's a uh, you know genuine concern in itself. The fact that it's happened just two months earlier than even is expected, and obviously, the fact that it's expected in some way, and you actually call it a fire season, is just like you know, for me personally, thinking about it, it's just like what? Because yeah. <laughs> obviously, like it's stuff like rain season, and that doesn't sound too. Uh, that doesn't sound the worst thing ever some some places actually need rain obviously in that case but like a fire season just sounds crazy to me personally yeah, yeah. Um, and I, i'm guessing to most people that don't live in australia um just some numbers obviously in terms of how how it's uh at the moment uh this is of uh i'm getting this from sky news from a couple well from yesterday or today actually yeah updated today uh 2000 homes gone um uh, yeah, t- 24 people have been killed, uh, almost 2,000 homes destroyed as the bush has ravaged three Australian states, and about 5 million hectares, which is 12.35 million acres of land. Um, for those that obviously don't live in Australia and don't know how much that is, uh, think of most of mainland England <laughs> uh, being on fire. So basically from like, I guess, uh, uh, below London, far below London, maybe to the coast if you really want to do that, and then go all the way up to England and then basically all of mainland uh, England. That's kind of where it is right now in terms of the whole space. Um, From someone who's there, uh, how, I guess, would you describe um, coverage um, there and how how people are responding? Because obviously... Australia itself is a very big country and there's different, um, I guess, I don't know how you want to say it, subsets of people. Also, mm-hmm. there's people living in the city, there's people living in rural areas. So how 
are people from how you're seeing it how are they i guess uh responding to all this i mean it's been very interesting because as you know you were quite shocked that we have a fire season so we're all pretty understand that there's a fire season and if you live next to the bush you anticipate that at some point in a two-year period you will suffer not loss of home but you will be threatened by fire and we've personally been very lucky that we haven't actually had to fight fires at our house since I've been alive, which is actually really rare. Um, so it's it's kind of accepted in Australian culture and the Australian population that fires will will happen. You know, it's not it's it's certainly not an unprecedented event. It happens every year. Usually, homes are lost every year. Not usually lives. Uh, it's rare that lives are lost, um, but it has been in the past. I think Black Friday or Ash Wednesday. There there are these big things in our past, like. Those are two big things. Ash Wednesday is special. Ash Saturday, one of those. I think they lost like 30 people in one day. Um, right. So initially people were like, okay, this is just another fire season. You know, this isn't that mm. bad. Um, it's starting earlier and a lot of people were justifying it because of the drought that we've been going through. And obviously if you're going through a drought, everything is like a powder keg. The bush is just, just bone dry and it's going to go up in an instant. And so at first, everyone was pretty chilled about it. Then it just got to the point where we realized that there was no way of controlling these fires. Now, just to give people some context about, you know, it might sound scary when you hear the size of England or these huge numbers that are thrown out and they keep like juxt or like uh, superimposing the fire over the top of like Europe. And you're like, holy shit, that's a lot of <laughs> a lot of ground. Australia, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Australia is huge. Like Australia is really yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. Like I drove down to Ballarat last year. It took me twenty hours over two days. So I drove there ten hours there, ten hours back, and there's nothing. You know, it's just bushland or just farmland. There's, there's no, Australia is a massive continent, and all this bushland yeah. that's being burnt out, most of it is entirely inaccessible to firefighters. So if a fire starts in there, they're aware that the fire's in there, but there's literally nothing they can do about it. And when it gets to the point where it's as big as it is, like a, a wildfire, you can't mm. douse it from above. You can't have uh, planes going on it and helicopters. So what I'm saying all this to give context that we weren't super concerned about it in September and early November. We were just kind of mm. like, oh, shit, you know, like there's some pretty big fires out there. It's not threatening homes right now. Um, hopefully when it gets to homes, that's usually when the fire is lock in and be like, okay, now it's getting close to homes. Now we're going to start setting up containment lines. We're going to hold it back from homes. When it got to around mid-November and it was taking homes and the fire service were on TV saying, we can't control this. And we looked outside and the, the, the biggest change was the smoke. So obviously we have smoke every year. But it's usually mm. just hazy. Like, you can just smell bushfire off in the distance. There's this thing in Australia where if you smell bushfire, you're kind of like, oh, fuck. Especially if you live near bush. So you check your apps. There's no fires around me. There's one about 30 kilometers away. Okay, that's why that's there. In November okay. and December, all of a sudden, uh, the, the the smoke levels were just in total insanity. You've, you've probably never experienced anything like this before in your life. There were like three days in a row where Sydney was the most uh, polluted city on the planet it was the the numbers were like twice that of delhi 
It was unbelievable. Mm. You couldn't work. You couldn't breathe. People were walking around in masks all day. You could barely see. The sun was blood red. Um, my father was in bed for three days because he was like smoke inhalation and he was. it was just depressing. And that's when we realized because there was no rain coming. The government was doing absolutely nothing. They were just pretending as if this was a regular fire season. And that's when people started to realize okay, this is a serious thing and we're at the f- we're actually on the front lines of climate change right now and we're experiencing it and we're going to have to lock in for a really long time and anxiety, fear, depression, people, like I would hang out with friends and, and they'd be crying and they weren't even affected by the fires but it was just so sad what everyone was going through and that's when, around mid-November is when the, the mood changed dramatically from you know, just, oh, this is how things go to, oh, this is a serious, serious thing that we're enduring now. So I think um, something that I saw personally um, in terms of coverage that I've saw, that I've seen uh, a couple of days ago, um, I think I saw Morrison, uh, I think, I think somewhere, I, I create if I'm wrong, in New South Wales, I think in like a rural area. And he was basically, you know, doing, you know, you know, when politicians just like, uh, you know, stand near a disaster zone, they just like, you know, hands behind their back and they just walk, 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 uh, yeah, very slowly, look at everything, you know, maybe talk to the people. Um, and in this case, uh, the people that were there were basically just like shouting at him, just telling him to either fuck off or, or just like, you know, uh, uh, say you know, what are you doing about this? What are you doing about this? With, you know, people are dying. Blah, blah, blah. And I think that's uh, always a turning point or always a, uh, there's always, it's always a point of reference when stuff like this happens. Um, you know, we've, we've seen this several times where like uh, here in the UK, uh, when the election race is going on uh, a few, couple of months, well, a month ago, um, Boris was, uh, Johnson was in uh, Yorkshire and at that point there was uh, some flooding and it went on for a for a while and to be honest i didn't even clock i didn't even uh, yorkshire's about uh 150 miles away from me so you know it's not um it's, it's, it's a bit far in british terms but um i didn't know there was flooding and it wasn't until he went there that i clocked that there was flooding but even when even in that case the fact that he got there and then people just started berating him because <laughs> He, 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 who do you, who do you want to come help the, uh, help uh, soothe the nation? You want Boris Johnson, of course. You know what I mean. So, I feel like in Scott Morrison's terms, it's uh, much of the same. And obviously, in terms of uh, the fact that you've uh, put here that there, he leads a party full of legitimate climate deniers is obviously something that's worth it. And I guess in their cases, in terms of talking to him, they feel different. And, uh, you know, the fact that you've said all this is some people, I assume, are coming to grips with the fact that this is no ordinary uh, fire season, as you put it. Well, people need to understand this about Scott Morrison because I assume that the world has cottoned on to this story in the last week or so. But what has happened with Scott Morrison over the past 12 months, and especially since September, is the reason why... He is now one of the most loathed men in this country. So the as I said earlier, the fires began in early September 
And Scott Morrison, the, the fire chiefs and emergency chiefs have been trying to meet with him and say, this will be a horrific, we need more funding, we need more money, we need more aircraft. Scott Morrison's government had four years prior and then every year since had already said, we're not gonna get more aircraft. And the reason is because they had mismanaged the economy so poorly that they just, they could afford it. Don't get me wrong. They could afford it, but they right. keep saying this thing about getting the budget back to surplus. And that's key in everything I'm about to say. They won an election. The last the, the last time Labor were in power, Labor lost that election because they promised a surplus in the budget and they failed to deliver. So this government has done absolutely everything in their power, cutting money, like everything they could do to get the budget back to surplus. So every year for four years, they've said, we're not getting more aircraft. We're not getting a local uh, firefighting air force. Now, obviously, Morrison repeatedly denied requests to have a meeting with those fire and emergency chiefs. Um, In November, I think it was November 9, he came out on a press conference and said, we are not giving any more money. We will not be giving any more money. This is a regular event. This is a state government issue. Uh, This is not our issue. Then two days later, he pledged $11 million of money, but it was revealed that he'd already assigned that money a year prior. So he came out and said this was new money that he was giving. That was not the case at all. Then, amazingly, he went to Hawaii. So it was around... Yes, I was going to ask about this. This is the thing, man. This is the big thing. So, So we're basically getting crickets from his government. We're getting nothing from his government whilst these fires are happening. Every time he's asked about it, he says that it's a state government issue and that the, the federal government supports the state government. But that's all. They're not going to step on their toes. We're not going to get involved. We're not, we're not involved. This is not our issue. This is state government. Then Morrison was nowhere to be seen. When There were these two fires up north in New South Wales and they converged and they created this giant mega fire. And people were looking for Morrison and he wasn't, he wasn't anywhere. And no one knew where he mm. was. His party were instructed not to tell people where he'd gone. Um, in fact, they were instructed not to tell people that he was gone at all until it was revealed that the National Party leader, which is the coalition, so the Liberal National Party, there's two parties and they formed a coalition. And the National okay. Party leader was the acting prime minister. So we knew that Scott Morrison was out of the country. No one knew where he went until someone spotted him in, in Hawaii and took a photo of it and posted it to social media. So the, the, the prime minister didn't tell anyone that he went to Hawaii in the middle. People had just lost lives. There were two rural fire service uh, people who had lost their life, and Morris. that was when it was revealed that Morrison was in Hawaii. Three days later, mm. he, he said that he was coming back to Australia as soon as possible. So he waited five, he was away for five nights. Now, when he said that, it was assumed he would come back on the Friday. That was also a lie, because he said he was coming back that day. He didn't come back till the next day, so he didn't get back till the Saturday. And the first thing he said when he got back was, um, it, it reassures me that the country needs me here in this time of crisis. And then he said, I don't hold the hose. There's nothing I can do. Mm. Basically, everything he's done since then has just been catastrophic PR failures. Like uh, on New Year's Day, for example, I think, oh no, sorry, New Year's Eve. If anyone remembers, this is probably when the world started to realize what was going on. There was this fire in this place called Malakuta, which is right down the the New South Wales south coast on the border with Victoria. And it was, I'm actually getting choked up, like just thinking about it because 
and I'm getting tingles because I knew people down there and um it was it was one of the scariest things that you will ever experience in your life like it's a small town and the fire was so intense that they evacuated the entire town onto the beach right so they had the entire town on the beach. There were young children in the water. There were people on boats. People were driving their four-wheel drives into the water so that they didn't leave them in the campsites so that the gas would explode, the, the petrol would explode. They had a line of firefighters around them on the beach. And uh, it was just blood red. The sky was blood red. Like children were wearing full-blown gas masks like they are in fucking Chernobyl. And the whole town was alight. They had no food. They had no water. They had no electricity. They had no connection with the outside world. They were just stuck on this beach alone. And whilst this was all happening, the Prime Minister was at Kirribilli House, which is in Sydney, right on the waterfront, hosting a private New Year's Eve party. And then the next day, he had a meeting with the Australian cricket team and had a barbecue and a game of backyard cricket. And people were genuinely dying on those days. And Morrison was just nowhere to be seen or heard. He didn't do anything. And the reason why he was then teed up at that, um, when everyone probably saw that viral footage of him getting abused, there is Mm. actually footage of him grabbing a woman's hand, putting it in his hand, and shaking it, despite the fact that she uh, she just lost her home. She didn't know where her husband was. And she said to him calmly, she didn't abuse him, she said... We need help. You aren't helping us. Please, can you help us? We need supplies. We need the army or the navy. We need money. We need help. We need more firefighters. And Morrison didn't even respond to her. He just turned away, walked off, got yelled at by a couple of people, got in his BMW and drove off. And then later in the day, he tried to shake the hand of a rural fire service firefighter who'd also lost his home. And again, the guy wouldn't shake his hand. So Morrison picked his hand up put his hand in his hand and shook it for the camera. And then the guy just got up and walked off, didn't say anything. And so when people looking at this from the outside and thinking, oh man, why would you blame one person for this whole emergency? Like that's not fair to place that all on his doorstep. He has just been horrific in this time. He has not been a leader in any shape or form. Anyone who is defending him at this point in Australia's media just looks like they're genuinely... They've lost their mind. Like he has been, I can't stress this more. He has been, he's he's worse than a shit tier human. He is, I don't even know if he's human. Uh, it's just shocking that these people have had to fight this entirely themselves. And he's just not been there at all. He's just been actively working against them. Just pretending that this is business as usual. And um, that he won't give any more money or funding or help because... This is not nor- This is just normal. This happens every year. So I want people to understand that when that vitriol and you see people yelling at him, that's not a normal occurrence in Australia. You don't go to a, a country town as a prime minister and get abused. That never happens. It, it might you might get booed at a sports game, and everyone will laugh like, "Ah, oh, it's kind of funny to boo the prime minister." But this mm. is genuine, valid, very, very valid, reasonable, logical, rational frustration at a leader who is not a fucking leader at all. He's just a disgusting human and he should not be in charge of this country. He's just a selfish, cowardly man. And it's just been very disappointing to have him leading our country during this time. Uh, I'd like to um, shift to the firefighters themselves because 
could you uh, just like explain to everyone the uh i guess the concept of like uh i think it's the rural fire service where like i mean there's there there are firefighters that are you know genuinely employed like we imagine you know fire services are but there are also some around the country where like they they are voluntarily you know servicing you know if obviously if there's a fire about they are called in as Mm. a voluntary service can you like uh, just i guess expand on that if you can well the bulk of the firefighters involved in this process are volunteers so they're not being paid for the work they're doing um usually it's in rural areas that's why i say the rural fire service that's why they're the the ones i keep referencing they're not the firefighters in the city who you know have a day job and they go to the they go to the fire station every day and that's their job i've i've actually known a few fire i've played cricket with a lot of firefighters um not volunteers but actual firefighters the bulk of the people doing the fighting of these fires are simply volunteers they live in the town that they're fighting for um Mm -hmm. or they live in the surrounds and they go through a training program and they go through you know fitness programs and stuff like that but basically they're like the army reserves you know they're not they're not doing much every day they're they're just there on call and if something happens they're there so the way that this has just been these these humans who have done this i can't praise them more I, i can't do them justice for what they've done these are just people and a lot of the time their properties aren't at risk at all they're getting in and they're risking their life every day and without them without them we would have lost 10, 10 to 20 times more lives than we've lost. They're just, they're heroes. They're genuine heroes. They're volunteers and they're just, they're just everyday people. They didn't get paid at all for what they're doing. They're just freaking heroes, man. Like they're doing 12 hour shifts. One woman said that her husband had done 10, 12 hour shifts in a row, 10 days in a row, 12 hours. And, um, and, and she was terrified. She was like, this is not even halfway through our fire season. And he's already done this. And, they're heroes there's no other word for it so how would that i guess uh how how would that in terms of like finding a solution i guess wouldn't it just be i guess the 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 points that you obviously making in terms of morrison not giving money uh in some cases isn't that obviously a potential solution just like like it's not a matter of like you know having to uh, send out the city uh, fire service, like in like the fire service in the city, they actually have the jobs to to those places. That could be a potential solution. I'm just spitballing here in that fashion. Yeah, but I guess a simple one is literally just like, you know, help the <laughs> help the rules <laughs> fire service out in terms of just like hook them up and they do what they can. Obviously, it's not going to be perfect. But obviously, they, they like you say, they're doing 12-hour shifts. They're doing what they humanly can possibly do. And that's not even, you know, in, that's not even asking anybody else, you know. It's just literally helping those helping those people who are trying to uh, do their job on a voluntary basis. Well, there are a lot of issues. There are a lot of ways that can be helped. Um, firstly people need to understand that there are there is definitely money assigned to the rural fire service but the problem is that it is tied up per branch basically so there might be a certain amount of money that the rural fire service for example in menai which is my closest that let's just say hypothetically they get a million dollars 
and they don't use any right. of that million dollars in a fire season. And then the one in Cobargo gets a million dollars. But the one in Cobargo needs $3 million this year because of how horrific the fires have been there. But there might be okay. 30 other ones up and down the coast that aren't even utilized at all. So there's $30 million tied up in those. That money cannot yeah. be transferred to Cobargo. So that money will go back into the government's budget to be reassigned for the next year. So that is the first thing that needs to happen is there needs to be a transfer of, of funding between the fire services. Now, moving resources from one area to another is not really possible with regard to tangible things like people and, and firefighting equipment and firefighters. So if you know we have a local fire service in Reesby, you can't take them and then send them down to Malakuta to fight that fire because the way mm. that these fires... You know, for example, even yesterday, we were, my dad and I were at the cricket and there was an out-of-control fire about three kilometers away from our house. And if you'd moved resources away from that area, all of a sudden, within 20 minutes, that fire is now out of control and threatening houses and lives. So people have to be on the ground in their areas ready um, because these things move so quickly and so rapidly. The biggest thing that is helpful in these situations are aircraft. Now, these are helicopters or planes. And the planes especially, we only have one large plane in this country that, that drops fire retardant and water, um, which is ridiculous, really. Uh, again, there's been calls for years to get a proper air force. And these are the best ways to fight these fires because not only can these planes drop fire retardant and water on the actual fire front, if the fire front gets out of control, the key to fighting these fires is containment. And usually a firefighting force won't go into the bush and fight the fire itself. They'll set up containment lines at a, at a, a road or a train line or at a river. And so they will burn out a little bit of bush in front of that so that the bush is already burnt out when the fire gets there. And they'll wet it all down, make sure it's super wet, soaking wet, so that when the fire does get there, um, it doesn't just escalate wildly out of control. And so when yeah. you have these firefighting aircraft, they can drop that huge amount of fire retardant on that on that containment line. And then all of a sudden, once the fire gets there, it might not jump any further. So without that, that air force, I mean, just to have a single, a solitary plane, you've already seen how many fires there are in Australia. Like people have probably seen the little little uh, thing with the little dots on the map and basically yeah, the whole yeah. continent is on fire that that plane needs to be working on that fire all day that plane can't just drop retarded there then go to the next fire then the next fire then the next fire and so a lot of the reason why we've lost so much bush is simply because there is no aircraft whatsoever and when it gets into these these places these inaccessible places the only way to fight it is from the sky and so if there's mm. no air force there's no firefighting and a great example is our snowy region so we ski in australia we have a, a snowy region in both new south wales and victoria on saturday they forcibly evacuated and now you don't normally forcibly evacuate people have the option to stay and fight the fire themselves um if right. they want and a lot of people do take that and it's a very valuable way a lot of houses get saved by people because the way a fire front works is when the when the the wind blows the embers from the fire the actual fire are blown ahead of the fire and start new fires and that's how a fire jumps and jumps and jumps so if you're at a house 
and the fire front is a kilometer away, a kilometer away, you're still at serious risk. The, the wind could blow embers onto your house and then that will start a fire and you have to be there to put it out. But that's why people normally stay. But in the snowy, it was so dangerous and resources were so stretched, there was no aircraft that they had to say everyone in this region is evacuated effective immediately because we can't fight the fire if it gets in there. You're, you will lose houses. There's nothing we can do about it. We don't have aircraft. So you have to leave because you're going to die. We can't stop the fire. And uh, so that's what we need the most is aircraft. Badly, so, so badly. We need planes and we need helicopters. So that's the way that the government can help in that realm. I do always, as a side note, always do wonder how um, Australia has so many snowballs and skiers. So it's uh, kind of a... I've been skiing since I was three years old, man. Like every oh, year really? down at, Perith- at Perisher. Yeah, it's like, it's crazy. It, the greatest thing about it is like, when you get into spring, it's like it's cold in the morning, but you can ski. You can ski shirtless in the afternoon. It's warm. It's beautiful. It's just stunning. But yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I just like I've always wondered like how where where these people are coming from. Like <laughs> that's that's fast fascinating. But um, back to the topic. Um, I think something that why why just a like it's a at this point I decided to say that I'm learning a lot here because. I think the coverage that I get personally, um, as someone who, you know, is living in Britain here, and I'm I'm not going to say it for everybody else, but um, I feel like the coverage that I've gotten in terms of this, and obviously it's, you know, very uh, human-based, and that's how most of them, uh, most uh, foreign uh, occurrences or foreign news, hap- uh, how, how it's covered, especially if it's in depth, they always try and find, you know, people on the ground like just trying to give their opinion on it and you have to just like uh, i guess rely on other people rely on the watcher to actually look into it more in terms of potential solutions or whatever or specifics um but what i'm getting a lot here obviously uh is that it's more about there's a, there's, there's a lot of, um, I guess, specifics in terms of how it can be done politically and obviously in a, in a matter of uh, funding as well. And from what I'm getting here is even though you guys have a season of it, um, there's a level of um, ineptitude, I guess, and I guess ignorance on some people's parts. Um but I guess uh, what I'd like to ask next um, is that how do you personally how do you personally see this um, looking ahead? How long do you think this will continue on for uh, logically? And do you see this more as a you know a thing that just happened and it will be? maybe forgotten about because it's going to happen it might happen another time and in that mm. case it might be i don't know normalized in a way um ho- hopefully not but i guess yeah so how do, how do you i guess how do you think uh this will pan out in terms of i guess uh the future and in the near future how it will or if it, well if it'll finish it will finish but uh when will it finish there's a couple of angles to that the first I've, I was actually very interested to hear what you had to say about how you have 
been presented information about this because obviously we've been living this for months and it's only really been the last couple of weeks that the world has taken notice and people have really you know dug into their pockets to help and so when i you know when you asked what the solution was um i was talking more proactively but mm-hmm. i don't want to discourage people from uh from donating to things like red cross because those are the, the those are the organizations that are actually going to help people rebuild now there's no fund for pe- there's no government fund for people who lose their house to a fire you're gone right. you're out like you're done there's nothing you can do you you rely on your savings you go live somewhere with your friends uh so that what the red cross is doing is they actually have a grant system now where the money they that they're raising can be distributed to people who have lost their house to help them get back on their feet so the money I was talking about before with aircraft and stuff like that, that is proactive and what we're going to have to need in the future. But what we need now definitely is money for supplies. And a lot of people are sending actual supplies, which is not super helpful because they all have to be distributed out. And it's very difficult. Money is the, the best way. And it sounds, you know, gross. I don't even like to say that, you know, we need yeah. money, we need money. But um, yeah. that level of ineptitude, it... it, it I guess it wasn't really obvious until this year. So I'm I'm painting a very dire picture of the situation, but when we go back 12 months prior, it was not dire. Like, yes, we have a fire season every year, but the, the resources were not stretched the way that they have been this year. And they were stretched a little, and we did lose some houses, but we didn't lose life because things... The, the government has basically planned... To ki- that, that things will stay the same for the foreseeable future and they've budgeted accordingly. So what has happened here is that I, I honestly, it's, it's, hard, it's a hard thing to answer, like where do we see this going and where to next and what, what the new normal will be. Usually after a really large fire season like this, especially in our area, you won't see another big one for a couple of years because everything's fucking burnt out. That's the thing that they're relying on most in this situation is that when the winds change, it blows the fire back on itself onto already burnt out bushland, and then the fire dies because it can't reburn the, the burnt bush. So yeah. if the bush is already and that and that's why we have um, we have back burning in Australia, which is where you burn the bush in the winter so that it can't be burnt in the summer. Which sounds I crazy, see. right? But like it's a genuine thing. Yeah. So. My worry is that the next two seasons won't be anywhere near as insane as this season and that we will be lulled into a false sense of security. The government will be able to fall back on, well, it's not that bad this year. Last year was just an anomaly. It was an anomaly, yeah. Yeah, we don't have to increase funding. I I said this to my dad yesterday and I've said it to a few people and and a a left-wing commentator said this on TV the other night. To me, this honestly feels like the beginning of the end. And I'm not saying the end end, but the end of the era that we've known in the human race. I I don't want to sound like I'm escalating this in a crazy amount, but just looking at the scientific evidence, looking at the facts, looking at this fire season finally affecting lives, uh, not in a, I'm not saying finally in a good way, like finally this is happening, but I'm saying mm. it's finally it's finally escalated to the point where this is going to become more and more often and the more that people turn their back on it and the more that they disengage from it the the more it's going to creep up on us and the more people are going to be affected by it worldwide and i just 
I honestly think that the next five years, things are going to deteriorate on a worldwide scale. And I think we're going to have to make some epic changes with regard to Australia's bushfire season. As I say, I think this will be the worst season on record for a couple of years. And I think the way that bushfires just work, the mechanism of bushfires is that it just you can't have a second one in a row because all the bush is already burnt. It's just, it doesn't work like that. So even mm-hmm. if we do have a drought next year and it is 48 degrees in Penrith, um, it just won't be as bad. And I think people will latch onto that because it gives them a sense of security. Like, oh, it's not that bad. It was just an anomaly. And I understand people's want for comfort and safety and and calm in times like this but this is a time when i feel like we really have to act and we really have to start holding politicians and people in charge accountable and businesses as well for accountable for their emissions and and for actually helping us to fix the climate or at least slow down the damage that we're doing to it because i think this is a tipping point i honestly do i think that's always something um worth thinking about on a um on a social and a political scale where you know you you talk you talk about these things um that distress people you know um you know it's a ah this place is is it's gonna flood it's this flooding it's it's gonna flood again if we don't do something about it and if you constantly talk about it then people are either gonna be you know if they don't change their ways on the, I don't know, fifth day you talk about it, you know, consecutively, they're not going to do it on the 30th day or the 200th day, you know what I mean? So you can, there's always a, there's always a bell ringing for this kind of thing. Well, the, the, but, the, 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 I guess the, what's the right way to put this? The positive and the negative is that this has gone on so long now and and people had the opportunity to disengage multiple times and as you said you've been presented with the the human effect of this now a lot of scientific papers have never predicted or have had actual proof of the human the the human toll that climate change is going to take on us and so that's why it's easy to intellectualize it or disengage from it emotionally Mm. and emotion is the strongest motivator for us to make decisions and the strongest motivator for us to actually actually act and as horrific as it is that we have to use this as what i think is a tipping point we do have to capitalize on the fact that this has affected actual humans in such a horrific way and say this is not isolated this isn't a terrorist attack this isn't a man-made or it is man-made but it's not something that we can just control by invading Iraq or we could control by being more (laughs) compassionate to one another or, you know, we can control by moving out of the city. This is something that's going to affect the entire human population of the world in a real physical way. And that's why I think this is a little bit different to some of the other things that we've seen, like maybe a volcano goes off in New Zealand and we're like, okay, but it's a volcano, like as horrible as it is, that's what volcanoes do. This is not what the the planet does. It's not meant to do this. And that's why I hope that the extended period that this has gone on for will kind of erase that ability of humans to just disengage over it. As you say, you know, you get bombarded with something every day. Eventually, Mm -hmm. you can't keep engaging with it. Humans run out of energy. 
they run out of emotional mm-hmm. energy. It's like I can't yeah. I can't keep being traumatized by this one event over and over again. I need something else. I need to do something else. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it'll just be very interesting to see what happens after this. I, I'm scared, honestly, man. I'm 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 pretty terrified. Not not for my physical health, although I am scared of that. But I'm just scared of the way that the the, the direction that the world is going in. Well, I hate to leave it on such a bum note, <laughs> but. <laughs> But I feel like uh, that's a real poignant um, point to leave it at. Um, I would just like to add uh, that um, I think I've talked about this on the show several times in terms of like, uh, there is a term for it, and I forgot the term for it, but like, you know, our empathy tank, you know, it's just like, you can be sad about something for so long. But and or, or like you know feel bad about something for so long. But at some point you're just gonna have to, you know, you're either gonna have to keep moving or just I don't know, go deaf and blind to it, kind yeah. of thing. Um, but I feel like it's always I feel like it's always something that uh, we have to learn about ourselves that we can't. In, in the fact that I can get information about what's going on on the literally the other side of the world, and uh, I was initially going to make the joke, um, how is it being upside down? But uh, I was, <laughs> I thought, I thought it was uh, not the best <laughs> time to do it uh, until now, apparently. But um... <laughs> bro, I don't know why we still get this shit. But yeah, yeah, all right, fair enough. We'll take it. We're friends, guys. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, the fact that I can get this information from, you know, a primary source is always good. Um, but most of the time, people can just look at um, the Independent or the Sun for whatever fucking reason you want to read the Sun for, uh, or Sky News or whatever, or Channel 4 News on the TV or BBC News on the TV. You know, you get you get a side of it, but you always, you always question, is it enough? and stuff like that that's if you you know want to know more about it but obviously as we said some people just you know either want to know the basics and just like you know move on with their lives or whatever um but the fact that you know when some people do that or most people do that they consider you know oh it's on the other side of the world doesn't matter Mm. but at some point it is gonna matter you know i mean it's it's gonna you know amazon going going down in flames is something i won't feel you won't feel but we're all gonna feel it at some point you know what i mean it's this and it's the same case with uh the fires in australia here over there over where you're at it's gonna have it's the same with um um uh, uh i forget what happens i forget what happens in china because they always have smog everywhere but stuff like that you know it's uh and also obviously you know north and south pole and all stuff like that so in terms of climate, obviously that conversation, this is always something uh, worth talking about. And like like you, I feel like this is a you know a direct, basically warning shot um, that you know this this shit's going, the shit's about to go down. Um, but yeah, so I think I think in that case, is always a question of people going, well, what can I do about it? You know what I mean? Same with the. Uh, you know, a more a um, a more uh, what's the word? Uh, a more time-specific example. Obviously, that 
the World War Three memes that were going about in the past couple mm. of days. You know, mm. people make them jokes because you know scared, they, they they can't they're not going they can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, and some some people in response to that kind of stuff in in that um, whether you consider it justified or unjustified anxiety uh, about a potential world war or whatever you want to call it. Um, some people just make memes instead, or or just you know send them about and have a laugh. Um, and obviously, some people think that's a bad thing, uh, but it's how people cope. Um, so yeah, I think this is all a, obviously a big conversation in just how people, I guess, respond to things, um, whether they feel empathy or apathy. I feel like that's something people need to that's a good point. look look in the mirror about. Um, in like, do I care about this? If yes, why? If no, well, if yes, what can I do about it? If I care about it that much, and if I don't, why don't I care about it? Um, and that's always, I think, something. Uh, I think it's worth taking away from this conversation, especially. Yeah, I think also people, you know, I understand the 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 terror and the scare and and the what can I do about it and the confusion and anxiety. I think the way that I've overcome it, you know, obviously. I've suffered from anxiety for 10 years, so I've seen therapists a lot and I've been through all these situations in my own personal life. Basically, you control what you can control and outside yeah. of that, you live the the best life you possibly can and you be the change that you want to see in the world. You don't have to you don't have to go on protest every day and be on Twitter or writing articles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You just do what you feel needs to be done to reduce your carbon footprint or you do some research on how you can contribute or where you can donate or what party you can sign up for and you understand what your own limitations are as a human and you know what you're capable of and then you try and help other people around you if they want to do the same thing or if you feel like they're on a tipping point where they might fall into your category and want to start doing the same thing you help them to do the same thing as well but then outside of that as charlie said you you only have a certain amount of energy you can't you have an empathy bucket and you can't you can't mm. go past what you've got and then you'll just you'll just be so exhausted and jaded and cynical that you'll become nihilistic and you'll just be like, there's no point to this, we're all going to die. And then, <laughs> you know, you, you're screwed. So you do have to remember to live your life within that realm and, you know, do whatever you can to enjoy your life and live life to the fullest and create meaningful connections with the people around you and just be a genuine, genuinely just just enjoy your life man like like what what else are we gonna do you know what else are we gonna do we're gonna sit every day at home like you know i was at the cricket yesterday and dad said do you want to leave to go you know make sure the house i said what what are we gonna do dad like we have to stay here we have to and 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 a lot of the time you know we have these days in australia called catastrophic fire danger where they say stay away from any bushland area and if you live in the bush uh get ready to evacuate at a minute's notice doesn't even matter if there's a fire anywhere near you and I drove down to see a friend in Wollongong a few last week when there was one of these days. And I was driving through like unburnt bush and I was just feeling so wrong about it. I'm like, I should be at home right now because if something pops off, I need to be home. I can't be an hour away from home. And right. I rang my mum and she's just like, don't worry about it, man. Like, look, you've got to live your life. You've got to go out and see your friends. You've got to, you've got to still... And it's the same as we say with terrorism. You know, you can't avoid cities because you're scared of a terrorist attack. You just have to still engage in life and... You're still allowed to enjoy yourself. You know, even mm. while people are dying in Australia from fires, don't feel like you need to give all your attention and emotional energy. You need to give you need to give some and if you've got some money you can help with that. 
but you, you can't sit around, and I've seen this with the people around me, having been affected by it so dramatically, we sit and cry about it together or we discuss it endlessly. We talk about it for days and nothing gets done. We just sit and yell at each other because we're so angry at the situation and we forget to live our life. So I just want to say, please don't forget to live your life. Like, yes, we need help and yes, we all need help. And yes, this is going to be pretty damaging, but just do the absolute best you can. And that's it. Disengage from it there. You're allowed to disengage once you've done that and then go live your life. And that's what I wanted to leave on. There you go. That's something, that's something good right there. But um, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great it's a great point. Um, I think I mentioned after the UK election, you know, I felt pretty like shit, as you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, um, and then the next day I went into town and, you know, don't want to sound symbolic, but like everyone was just keeping it moving. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. nobody's nobody's crying or rioting everywhere. I just went to get McDonald's. Yeah, you know I mean it's just yeah. It literally, it literally is that. Like you know, um, well, we have ETA twenty four days over here to see how much uh, uh, flush that that flush of the toilet will go uh, will uh, affect us. But um, you know, that but until that happens, it obviously everything may be seen, and it's a fact everywhere else um, in most places. But uh, Ben, thank you very much for this. Uh, oh, you know, I asked, asked you earlier in the week, and I, I knew you were down for it. Uh, but you know, I just uh, oh, it's 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 always something like I want to call you for <laughs> this shit's happening, uh, and not for anything else. But uh, yeah, I I I'm glad you were down for this and uh, uh, helped me out, help me understand this, and obviously that's the whole point of this most this podcast most of the time is me trying to learn things and understand things and hopefully everyone else who's listening um hopefully understands uh, what's going on down there a little bit a little bit better no it was great thanks for the opportunity man i love what's good so it's my first appearance oh, i was on it i was on it at the end of the decade thing but um or the end of the year thing but yeah, I yeah. Was, i'm pretty excited I lo- i'm a bit of a fan i listen to what's good so <laughs> it's it's cool to be on it it's really cool <laughs> All right, so, so to <laughs> so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was my conversation with uh, Mr. Ben Carter. Um, I hope you guys really enjoy that one because uh, I genuinely that's probably one of my this is probably one of my favorite episodes to be completely honest because uh you know it's obviously very different to what i've done previously and uh it really i think it's always good to have like a primary source to um to uh throw throw questions at um i think that that really is uh in my mind the best form of learning you know talking to someone one-on-one with the knowledge and it's, it's to me it's better than a book it's better than being in a classroom one-to-one is always the best for me in terms of learning I think and I think it's the best for most people so with that said I hope you guys really uh learned something from this I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode I really did enjoy recording this uh but yeah from the fifth End podcast network I've been trying to tell this been most good music is oh baby and sing to this by Barsity you can find his music uh, via Bandcamp, link in the description below. Have a good week, everybody. I shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.